You are listening to the Speak Podcast. The podcast featuring talks from Speak, a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Welcome to the Speak Podcast, produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Speak is a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Each Speak Talk features three key moments. The moment of truth, the moment of transformation, and the moment of impact. We host pop-up events all over the world, and now we are bringing our talks to your device. Our speakers are stepping onto the stage and into the spotlight, and now onto this podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Speak Podcast. I'm your host for today, George Andriopoulos, the architect and one of the co-leaders here at Speak. Our micro theme for today's episode is the gift of speaking. And you'll see that each of our three talks deals in their own way with a gift of sorts. Without any further ado, let's dive right into this episode and hear these incredible published speakers and what they have to say. Our first talk for this episode comes from published speaker Rob Esposito. While weaving in and out of both professional and personal stories, Rob Esposito gives us an in-depth look into the freedom of the will and the power of choice. He uses real-life experiences to display how finding perspective and taking risks can remove the lie that society tells us, which is that at a certain point in our lives, we lose control of our lives and become controlled by fate. Now, this talk was so much fun to work with with Rob. When Rob came to us for our Freedom event in July of 2023, he had so much to say. And I remember working with him and seeing his first draft and realizing that this guy was not only an incredible entrepreneur and business owner, but he was a poet of sorts. And he was just incredibly deep in some of the thoughts that he put forth in this talk. His story of perseverance was just so amazing. And to hear his perspective on the work that he does with his company, Relocators, it was just amazing. That's all I can say about it. So without any further ado, here's Rob Esposito with Free Will, My Most Appreciated Gift. As a kid, I always contemplated life's most important question. Not where did I come from? Not where am I going, but why am I here? The free will that eludes that question has always been a gift, a curse, and an area of deep examination for me. But I believe in this thing we call love, and that you can't have love without having the ability to choose. So therefore, love and free will intrinsically get weaved together. So there you have it. Freedom of choice is in me. And there I was looking like an early 90s troubled teen on a daytime talk show, young, dumb, broke, without a clue, wondering why am I here and what am I going to do with my life? Growing up, we didn't have much, but we had everything. I was an American poor kid, layaway, ramen soup, Santa didn't bring enough gifts. Not like the poor kids your parents guilted you into finishing your plate for. But money was a thing. 
And I loathe not having certain things, as well as the freedoms and restrictions to live the way I wanted to live. I always wanted to be successful and in control. I never had a real job. I worked at a restaurant and then started my own business. No boss, driving against traffic, my way, my ideas. I catch myself saying I escape, like comparing it to the Jay-Z line where he talks about I escaped, I never had a job. But like, I do understand, Jay-Z's talking about drug dealing and worldwide mega fame, and I'm talking about junk removal and waiting tables. I didn't escape nothing. If at 12, you'd say, my life experiences had me wise beyond my years, then by my mid-20s, you'd say that I had already passed that senior stage where m most of my closest friends had started to pass away. I had this great group of friends, and one of my closest friends died in an absolute tragedy, and from there, many soon followed. Events like this made me introspect. So profound to me was 20 minutes. I understand, although I don't, my friend that died in a tragedy. But the people that were at the tragedy when it happened all wound up passing away over the next 10 years. And the ones who got there 20 minutes later are all extremely successful. That's where I get confused. I don't understand why one event can have such separate outcomes with people. For me, feeling that sort of pain at that age, I tended to not care so much what risks I'd have to take in life. When you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. It always amazes me how everybody has such a clear understanding about how other people should lead their lives, but never any understanding about their own. This was my mid-20s mindset, and then this happened. My friend Joe's dad got us into Local 3, the electric union. Top pay, 250K, a dream job by any stretch, especially to us. Joe tormented me for years, but at the last minute, I turned it down. My nana had just gotten cancer, and my mother got tasked with cleaning out her house in Queens and moving her to Long Island. She put an ad in the paper, old stuff out, brings the money in, let us show you where to begin. From there, she started one of Long Island's first estate sale companies. I then started cleaning out and doing small deliveries for my mother's clients. I hated to work, but something intrigued me. All of these clients were going through one of life's hardest transitions, and the only solution was a fragmented system of hiring multiple companies. I was done with college, sick of waiting tables, nearing my mid-20s, and growing ever so complacent with feeling trapped in what am I going to do with my life. I had the dream job with Joe on the table, but at the last minute, I scraped and borrowed and purchased my first box truck for $4,000. Fun fact, any hip-hop fans, I named the company Relocators because the day I incorporated, I had that Warren G song with the great intro in my head. Regulators! <laughs> These years sucked. I was self-employed, self-sufficient, sort of, but every day was a battle, and mistakes were the rule, not the exception. But I loved the people analyzing. I would make dumb mistakes like putting gas in a diesel truck right before a job. These were catastrophic and hit double hard. First off, every big mistake was like a viral invitation to alert the naysayers and advice givers to call. And second, rental fees and repair costs were costs I could barely absorb at the time. Frustration and anger would build to the point where one time I actually threw a cinder block through my windshield and declared, I'm done. 
I had two workers at the time and I remember their shock and awe. Later that night when I calmed down, I thought to myself though, imagine if this had happened last year when I used to have to get gas three times a day just to pay for my day's workload. That memory was a sign I was doing better. And I remember using it as an omen to say, keep going. In the beginning, I'd be in a clean out in a dusty, dirty basement, I'd marvel at hundreds of jelly jars, lids nailed to the ceiling, every nut and bolt sorted meticulously. Who has the time? Why do they do this? Do they not have sex? Is there nothing on TV? To live such a miserable existence, spending all your time in a basement, trapped, sorting screws, and outlining where your tools should go. Later, I thought about this from the perspective of someone who understands the complexities of intimate relationships. They weren't trapped. They were free. These men were escaping. And worst of all, I'd walk into the most shit-filled disgust of a hoarder's house, looking human beings in the eye, terrified of how I was gonna look at them. And I would just give a plan with an unjudging eye but I never understood why, until I realized almost every one of them suffered a loss so far beyond anything I could comprehend that their de facto mental response was to never let anything go again, ever. I loved what I learned these years, but I was by no means a business owner. If I wanted to be a business owner, I'd need different lessons and bigger risks. When it came time to, I got them from mentors as well as diving into audiobooks. After 2013, I never got on a truck again. In estimates, I got a much deeper understanding about the human condition. If you Google death, if you Google life's biggest stressors, the list comes out death, divorce, moving, serious illness. But moving, it's a trade. How does it come before cancer? Strangers come and take all your stuff, but your stuff are just things. Things mean nothing. But the memories you attach to the things, that means everything. And a shocking dichotomy I learned at this time. Whether a family has one sibling or 10, when a parent dies, a dynamic of three personalities shows up. The caretaker, they feel entitled. And rightfully so, they did all the real work but they never understand that the real work doesn't count when it comes to the will. The executor, they're making big decisions, but they're resented, especially if there's somebody in finance or accounting in the family, then it's really good. And third, the one that doesn't give a shit. Filled with apathy, they just want their cut. The irony to me was, the will of the deceased, no pun intended, goes right out the window by the simple fact of them dying. My company grew, the workload, taking on client stress, caring for employees, imposter syndrome. I found myself on Sundays dreading the upcoming work week. I made it through that by remembering that when I was a kid, I was terrified of Sundays. I lived in suburban Long Island, but I spent a lot of time at my dad's firehouse, an early 90s crack, 
crack epidemic Harlem, the men, the lessons, the chaos calmed me. I felt safe there. Back home Sunday night in the suburbs, the chaos scared me. Somewhere between big risks, materializing and working out, and my biggest fears coming together and not being so bad, the fears dissipated. With it came hyper-focus in the plan going forward, as well as instincts with decisions. Joe from Local 3 is still a close friend of mine, and he comes around my buildings and fixes lights after work in the city. I look forward to that. We always have a laugh, inside joke, about his earlier advice. If you know me today, you would know that the word no doesn't apply to me. You would hear things like, the universe follows him, what a small world, what a coincidence, or best of all, luck. Luck to me is just a state of mind. Luck is just a pivotal moment where preparation meets point of opportunity. The dots always connect. I believe that. You can only see them looking backwards, so you just have to be aware. Around 2016, someone said to me, TGIM. It became like a rallying cry for like 20 to 30 people in my circle. We would all text it to each other at 5 a.m. on Monday morning to pump ourselves up. I liked it, so I made it my license plate. One day I was running to my kid's school and the security guard looks at me with an appalled face. Does that say, thank God it's Monday? Why in the, before I could even think the words struck through my brain and into my mouth because 99% of the world screams TGIF and 1% holds all the wealth. That was it, I figured it out. And 30 years later I laugh because the kid scared of Sundays is not the reason I'm out here thanking God for Mondays. And over the course of th those 30 years, I've had many instances where frustrations and anger build like that time where I threw the cinder block through the windshield. But instead I replaced that windshield and I created my own circumstances. And what followed was growth. Growth in an organization of over seven companies, multiple locations, over 20 vehicles, thousands of clients that we care for during extremely stressful times and over 60 employees, most of which have grown with the company. Although moments like that, where I'm not sure of the future, still do come up. Remember the Cinderblock story? One of the workers has gone on to become a close friend and manager of mine. One day recently, I was having one of those nights and he was passing my office. I started spewing out all the coulda, woulda, shouldas. I don't want to do this anymore. He cuts me off. Go home, bro. Tomorrow, go buy another windshield. Thank you. That was Rob Esposito with his talk, Free Will, my most appreciated gift. Now, Rob is someone who I like to refer to as an everyday philosopher. What Rob does in his everyday work, I think gives him a depth to just the human experience because he has the opportunity to work with people during the most vulnerable moments. And that's when our real true nature comes out. And I think because of that, he has seen people in different stages and phases, in different scenarios, and has caused him to just reflect and contemplate on the meaning of life, right? And those deep things that we sometimes shy away from. So 
Rob Talk was really a joy to listen to, and even working with him was a joy. And because uh, he's, he's on presenting, but then when he opens his mouth, you see this is a philosopher, everyday philosopher like I uh, like to call him. So Rob, thank you for stepping up into the spotlight, onto the stage to deliver your talk. We appreciate you being on this Speak platform. That was Fred Banny, the builder and one of the co-leaders at Speak. Let's move on to our second talk of the day. This talk comes from published speaker Jeff Goldberg. Jeff spoke at our Speak Laughter event in August of 2023. In his Speak Talk, comedian and professional speaker Jeff Goldberg shares his thoughts on how laughter is a gift and how you never know how you'll affect someone's life when you give them the gift of laughter. This absolutely fits with our micro theme today of the gift of speaking. So without any further ado, here's Jeff Goldberg with Laughter is a Gift. I discovered at a very young age, laughter rules. My earliest recollection of laughter, I was about six years old, and my parents bought me a comedy album, album by a guy named Alan Sherman. It was called My Son the Nut, and it featured the song, a hit at the time, called Hello Mudda, Hello Fada. Some of you remember. For those of you who are too young to remember, the song was written by a young boy, I'm sorry, the letter was written by a young boy to his parents while he was away at summer camp, and he was not having a good time at all. For those of you who do know the words, please feel free to sing along because it started like this. Hello, Mutta. Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. Very funny song at the time, and it went on and on, and it was recorded in front of a live audience. So every time the comedian said something funny, you could hear them laugh. I found that if I sang the song for my family, they laughed for me, even though the song wasn't mine. And I liked it. I also realized at a young age, pretty much grammar school, that I had a good ability to make people laugh. My poor mother was called into school every two weeks, always the same conversation with the teachers. Jeffrey is so smart but he never stops talking. Jeffrey doesn't raise his hand. He's always shouting out silly things to make the rest of the kids laugh. Jeffrey is the class clown, and he's never going to live up to his potential. Mom wasn't happy. My teachers weren't happy. But I was happy because people laughed, and that made me popular, and it made me feel accepted. To this day, I still so crave that acceptance that I became a stand-up comedian. In fact, tomorrow night, I'll be at Governors in Levittown, appearing in the 2023 Long Island Laugh-Off as a finalist. Someone tomorrow night is going to be named Long Island's funniest new comedian. Maybe me. <laughs> teachers tell you stuff so that you can learn. The thing that I heard most often from my teachers was, I think you know the way to the principal's office, young man. I did. I'd like to go be, be able to go back to every single one of those teachers who ever said, do you think you're funny, mister? Today, the answer would be, yes. Yes, I do. So what is it about laughter? Well, clearly there are different types. There's the nervous or uncomfortable laugh when somebody says something off color. There's the laugh that we give to our boss when they say something that's not funny, but we want to kiss their ass. There's the canned laughter that TV programs use to inspire us to, to laugh when something funny is on the screen and many, many more. My personal favorite, the belly laugh. 
That's the one that happens when we say or do something that's so funny, we're left holding our sides and literally gasping for breath. That's what I'm going for when I'm on stage doing stand-up, the belly laugh. I want people to spit their drinks through their nose. <laughs> so why is laughter important? Well, laughter provides us with relief. We live in a crazy world. War, the pandemic, the economy, and don't get me started on politics. Most of us walk around stressed out of our, out of our minds all day long. We're bombarded, bombarded constantly with thousands of messages, people who want some of our time, people who want to sell us something, bad news, kids, dogs, parents. It's constant. One of the best ways to relieve the stress of everyday living is by laughing regularly. As for me, I like to smoke weed and drink tequila, but laughter is very good too. In a recent article, the National Institutes of Health said that laughter is a hormone-induced infusion that relieves stress and anxiety. Laughter releases the happy chemicals in our brain, dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphins. Laughter relieves stress. Some of you may find this hard to believe, not really, but comedians don't make very much money. Now, if you're the Jerry Seinfeld-level comedian, you make a lot of cash, but most of us do it because we love what we're doing. We love comedy and we love laughter. We love making people laugh. While making enough money at stand-up is certainly a dream of mine, the truth is I actually have a day job. I'm a sales trainer. I work with individuals and companies all over the world to help them increase their sales. I've worked with companies that you've heard of, like Cisco Systems, Siemens, Aramark, Citibank, and many others, doing full-day seminars for their salespeople and sales managers, helping them to increase their sales. Now, as fascinating as I think I am, I realize it might be just a little bit boring to sit and listen to me drone on for eight hour, hours about how to sell. So I've always used humor and laughter to keep people engaged and in, involved. Laughter provides a shared experience. When I started my comedy, uh, my comedy career two years ago, a friend of mine was very encouraging. And after about two months of doing stand-up, I called him and said, man, I love doing stand-up. I love getting laughs. And he said something at that moment that was very profound. He said, Jeff, instead of trying to get laughs, try to give laughs. In the moment, I kind of blew him off and said, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I wasn't really considering it very strongly. But later that day, I was driving in my car into New York City, and it struck me. His words came to me again, and I actually had to pull over and consider them. Get laughs, give laughs. My comedy changed that day, because now, when I go on stage to do stand-up, I'm not trying to selfishly get laughs. I'm trying to give the audience the gift of laughter. Laughter can be a gift of generosity. That same gentleman who inspired me, a very funny guy named Greg Kettner, he told me a story. He said that he was doing stand-up one time and Robin Williams, the late great Robin Williams, came into the club. Greg ended his set and then Robin got up and did two and a half hours. And afterwards, Greg was fortunate enough to sit and chat with Robin. He says that Robin gave him, gave him some advice that day. He said, Greg, keep doing what you're doing. Keep making people laugh because you never know how you'll affect somebody else's life when you make them laugh. Greg shares another story which I want to share with you. He said one time he was in Vancouver, Canada doing stand-up and he was about five minutes into his set when two gentlemen, who later turned out to be a father and son, walked in, sat in the front row, put their feet on the stage, crossed their arms, and clearly were not having a good time. Greg made it his mission to get those guys to laugh. And he says that after a few minutes, he actually had them. They were laughing and enjoying themselves. After he was done, he spoke with the two. 
He asked if they had ever been to the club before. And they see that he hadn't, even though they had passed it every day for eight weeks. You see, they were going to the hospital across the street to visit their wife and mother who had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Terrible. They told him that every day they would go visit with the woman, talk to the doctors, and at the end of the day, they were so exhausted and drained, all they could do was slam some dinner down their throats and then go to sleep. Greg asked how she was doing, and the son looked him in the eye and said, Mom died. Greg hugged them and cried with them. And after that, the father said, Greg, thank you so much for making us laugh. This is the first time in eight weeks that we've even felt halfway normal. Laughter can be a gift of generosity. Before I go, I want to try to give you one gift of laughter and maybe teach you a technique that might be useful if you have the same problem I do. I can't remember people's names to save my life. In fact, every morning I have to check my driver's license just to remember my own name. So I've come up with a technique for when I meet somebody who I know I know, but I can't remember their name. In fact, I used it just last Saturday. I was walking through Times Square on my way to the Broadway Comedy Club to do a gig, and about halfway up the block, I saw a guy looking at me like he knew me with a big smile on his face. And I immediately said, oh, I know this guy. I've worked with him a couple of times. I can't remember his name. Anyways, he walked up to me with that big smile, gave me a huge hug and said, Jeff! And I hugged him back and said, dude! <laughs> then we chatted for a couple of minutes and I came clean. I said, hey man, I've got to admit it. I know we've met a couple of times. I know I know you. I just can't remember your name. What is it again? And he looked at me like I was kind of crazy and he said, Jeff, it's me, Dave. And I said, no, I know your first name, Dave. I don't remember your last name. And he said, Chappelle. <laughs> Thank you. So if you laughed, if you guffawed, if you even giggled at that one, I urge you, pay it forward. Go out into the world and give people the gift of laughter because as Robin Williams said, you never know how you'll affect somebody else's life when you make them laugh. Thank you. That was Jeff Goldberg with Laughter is a Gift. Jeff was such a prime example of how collaborating on these talks and transforming one of your moments in a very minute, specific way can really change the impact of your talk. I remember collaborating with Jeff and when he came up with the idea to share that final story in his moment of impact, how it completely changed the talk. And I think it's exactly what it needed to make a huge impact on the listeners. So thank you so much, Jeff, for being the utmost professional and being so much fun to work with at Speak Laughter. Our final talk for this episode comes from published speaker, Dr. Kristen Donnelly. I've known Kristen for a few years now, and she is just such an incredible speaker, but an even more incredible human being. Kristen played an integral part in bringing our first international event to Belfast, Northern Ireland. And so it's funny how we have our first talk from across the pond with a speaker that's from our side of the pond with just an amazing talk. In her speak talk, she discusses how our perspective on life when we move away from the familiar, especially when we do so physically. In this talk, Dr. Kristen Donnelly shares about how living abroad in Northern Ireland reshaped how she saw the world and the lessons she learned nearly two decades ago and how they continue to shape her life and work. An incredible gift if you ask me when you talk about building a new life when you go to a new place. 
Without any further ado, here's Dr. Kristen Donnelly with Life in New Places Leads to New Lives. The year is 2004. I'm 20 years old. And here are a few things I know are true. Someday, acclaimed Hollywood actor Chris Pine will learn who I am, fall madly in love with me. We will get golden retrievers and live happily ever after. I am too much. I am obnoxious. I am loud. I am overbearing. And I will never belong anywhere. The best food in the entire world is this barbecue chicken pizza that you can get at the corner shop near my house in Philadelphia. And anyone who disagrees with me on anything is wrong, stupid, and maybe even a little bit evil. A couple other things about me at this time. I was about to finish university, and I was studying youth work, which is never for the faint of heart, but I knew absolutely that I wanted to work with teenagers, even though I really was still one. I just didn't know where I wanted to do it, or even kind of how. I went to college in the US state of Kentucky, which is in the middle-ish, and there was a bookstore near our university that had a giant globe, and I was hanging out at that bookstore with a few friends one night, I spun the globe, and my finger landed on the top of the island of Ireland. My friend, who knew a lot more than me and had been here, to Lurgan, actually, snorted at me and said, you know that's not Ireland, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? Yes, that's it. That's, I'm not that stupid, right? Like, that's Ireland. And she said, well... She explained that it was and it wasn't, that Northern Ireland was... Yes, a separate country with different currency and everything else, but it was also other things. And as she kept talking, I got more and more confused and more and more curious. I went home that night. Google was in its infancy, but it was kind of helpful. So I Googled youth work jobs in Northern Ireland, applied for one, moved here sight unseen in the late summer of 2005. When you move somewhere that wasn't home for you, things shift in your life. You start to see the world differently. You move through it in different ways. You even start to use different words or even different accents a little bit. I know it's terrible. But there are these moments, right? Moments that you know are gonna shift and unshift things. So there's the big ones, like when I met my husband, when I graduated from a couple different schools, when my favorite baseball team won its world championship. Those are things I'll never forget. You like feel in your bones how those things work. There's lots of other little moments too that at the time you don't realize are as significant, but they become that way. I had a whole year of those the first year I lived here. Kind of quiet moments, like when I learned I couldn't say gas station and ATM anymore, I had to say petrol station and hole in the wall. There were really aching ones, like in December, when it got dark at 4.30 and Christmas was everywhere, but it was wrong. The hymns were wrong, and the decorations and the food and everything was wrong, but I was surrounded by all these people for whom it was right. There were joyful moments. I was here for the historic David Healy goal against England. That was quite the night. <laughs> there were really hard moments because, as I said before, being a youth worker is not for the faint of heart. And there were really mundane ones. For the rest of my life, I will always crave custard creams with my tea. I know that for a fact. 
It was my year of yes. I said yes to as many things as I could. I experienced as many things as I could. And what I realized is that I was changing. I'll be really honest, though. I didn't really get it. I was too young when I moved here the first time. I didn't really understand all the lessons that were around me. I didn't really get what I was supposed to do with them. But Northern Ireland didn't care. It transformed me anyway. It looked at me and it said, oh, you think that the way that you do politics in the United States is the only way to do it? Well, I see your two-party system and I raise you a five-party one. You think your faith is an American invention? Let me take you to churches that were built before your country was colonized. You think you are too much and overbearing and obnoxious? Let me show you people who will love you, who will help you create home in a place that once upon a time you couldn't find on a map. And you'll create family in ways that you won't even be able to articulate. But the things that it really taught me the most, this category of moments, was learning that different didn't mean evil. Learning that you could understand somebody without agreeing with them. Learning that just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean they're stupid. <laughs> that multiple things can be true at once because facts are not always as important as truth. That is the category of lessons that I carry in my bones today. So what do I mean by like, you don't have to understand, I mean, you don't have to agree to understand? Great question, love to answer you. So small example, I, as a Philadelphian, deeply believe that the only place that you can get Philadelphia cheesesteaks is in Philadelphia. Deeply believe this. You see, there's like environmental things with the bread and the cheese, and you have to slice the, the meat in a certain way, and it is... <sighs> Sorry, I get very head up about this. For me, any, anywhere in the world, there is a Philadelphia-style cheesesteak on the menu. It is wrong. It is wrong. For everybody else, it is lunch. Both of those things can be true all at once. Sure, that's kind of silly. I get it. And there are some things in the world that you can't really do that with. They're too big, they're too intense. For instance, if you happen to meet somebody who is a Nazi, you don't have to keep doing relationship or friendship or anything with the person that holds those beliefs. You can seek to understand why they might, but then you, get to, you can walk away and be like, hey, so I think those ideas are really, really harmful and I can't truck with you anymore. I can't do this life with you anymore. You guys can go on your way. Many things can be true at once, and that's really hard to handle. A slightly more cogent example is climate change. It's a scientific fact. We've seen the effects of it all around us, but there's lots of people who don't believe it. And I could list them fact after fact after fact, and it doesn't matter because the truth that they feel in their bones is more important than my facts. But my facts, and their feelings have to coexist in the world because they already do. And it is living here in this place that taught me to not automatically write everybody off that didn't agree with me, to not automatically write them off as a crackpot, but instead to ask more questions. Why do they think that? 
Why do they believe that? How does that element of the world shape how they move through it? What were their moments that got them to this decision? In fact, it got so deep in my bones, that lesson, that it's what I do for a living now. I ask more questions, and I make fewer assumptions, and I help people do the same. And it is this place that taught me the lessons to do that. So I did my year here. As a youth worker, it was wonderful and hard and difficult and magical and all of the things that a good internship really should be. And I moved back to the States because I got some scholarship money to graduate school. And any academic ever will tell you, you never turn down scholarship money. But I moved back here as fast as I could. In 2011, I started my PhD at Queens. I met the man who would become my husband, the woman who would become my best friend and business partner, and a host of other people who would choose me like I chose them and would become family for me. And I got to learn all of those lessons over and over and over again. My place to learn that different doesn't mean bad was here, because it's different <laughs> from where I grew up. My mother is not Northern Irish, as we often say in international social work, so I will never know what it's like to be Northern Irish. So therefore, I could get a lot of the lessons. For you, though, that place might be down the road, it might be in your own family, or it might actually be across an ocean and getting a visa. But the real secret sauce is that you go somewhere and open yourself up to life lived in a different way. That you realize that the way that you do human, the way that you move through the world, is not the only valid one. That you accept that being a human is really hard. We're all doing the best we can, and we all do it in a lot of different ways. Wherever your secret sauce needs to live, whatever it looks like, like I said, down the road, in your own family, however you can ask more questions and make less assumptions about yourself and other people, I behoove you to do it. We have to. We can't keep living in this entirely fractured planet where we don't know how to have conversations with each other. So the year is now 2023. I'm 40 years old as of last week. And here are a few things I know are true. Chris Pine might be a lovely lad. He has a fabulous fashion sense. But my happily ever after is found with a lad from County Tyrone in our wee house full of video games and books. You know what? I am a lot. <laughs> I am a lot. But I found people who like that. And when I meet people who think I'm a lot, I tell them to go find less. The best food in the whole world is actually my husband's homemade ramen, because he makes the dashi from scratch. But like pizza, you can't really get away from pizza. Like pizza's still pizza. People who disagree with me about things are still people. They're doing the best they can. And I can choose to understand who they are, why they are, and how they see the world instead of writing them off. So may we all lean into that deep truth that being a human is hard work. It's so hard, none of us get out of it alive. Very few of us know what we're doing. In fact, none of us really do, and we're all making it up as we go along. And so why don't we all be a little bit gentler with ourselves and each other? 
May we ask more questions and make less assumptions. May we seek to understand rather than categorize and condemn. And may we breathe in deep the world around us to allow us to transform us in the best way possible. Thank you. That was Dr. Kristen Donnelly with Life in New Places Leads to New Lives. Kristen is just such a pro on stage. She has spoken on my stages before, and I was just so honored to have her and to collaborate on this talk with her, which just came from such a different place. And I will tell you something, for those of you in Belfast, Northern Ireland, we will be back for another event. We're actually in talks right now planning our second event in Belfast, Northern Ireland, but I do want to reiterate that None of this would have happened without Dr. Kristen Donnelly and her help in bringing this event over there. Every talk that I've ever heard her give that has to do with Northern Ireland is just a love letter to the country. And so I appreciate her introducing me to Northern Ireland and really helping me build a new piece of my life in a new place in Belfast because they are a part of our Speak family now. So thank you so much, Kristen, for everything. That does it for this episode of the Speak Podcast. We have something really fun happening right now. We're coming to you with a bonus episode when this episode drops. So this is episode 14. We are simultaneously going to drop episode 15, which is the first ever Speak Podcast live recording. And it happened after our Speak Health event in October 2023 at the Bethel Christian Center in Massapequa, New York. This was a fireside chat with the three co-leaders, myself, Fred Banny, and Jason Martin, and we had an interview with the speakers of Speak Health, and it was just so much fun to do, so I encourage you guys to just jump in, listen to this episode after you listen to the current episode, tell us what you think, share with your friends, give us your feedback, and as always, thank you so much for your support in helping support speakers who step onto the stage and into the spotlight. See you next time, guys. The Speak Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by Fred P. Banning, Jason Martin, and George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Champions Day, is by Lupus Nocti. Incidental music, Melting Places, is by Andreas Kantu. Music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. The Speak Podcast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow Speak at Speak underscore event on Twitter and at Speak Event on all other social media platforms. Visit our website, speakevent.com, for upcoming events, channel partner, sponsorship, and speak at work opportunities. And follow all the great podcasts produced by Lunchpad 516 Studios.